0: You all to hear me, but uh, we do record. I think it's this service normally we record, but uh, I, th- I think we ought to record both, and whichever was the better sermon is what we should put online, but that's probably subjective anyway. So, anyway, <laughs> uh, a couple of weeks ago, I got home and I said to Jody, I think that is the worst sermon I've ever preached in my life. She said, Oh man, I was filling in notes, I thought it was amazing. <laughs> Now, last week, she said, I was having a hard time keeping up. I thought, well, you should have stopped after the first sentence. But (laughs) anyway, um, I'm uh, really grateful to continue on in our study in Ephesians. I do want to let you know, Pastor Nate, today, uh, the way things have worked themselves out this summer, Pastor Sean does not have a lot of breaks, and he was the only one preaching during the initial parts of our uh, COVID season And uh, there aren't a lot of people that aren't already preaching somewhere else. So Pastor Nate is actually in Yorktown today, has preached once and is uh, very shortly going to be preaching again and a third time. And then this afternoon, he's going to hop in his car and drive to Longview Ranch where he's going to be speaking and leading music for... Uh, for kids and middle schoolers this week. So this is going to be a really hectic spell for Nate. So if you would uh, pray for him, I'm sure he would appreciate it. Uh, Advertising is an interesting phenomenon. Some of you uh, know that I do a little side gig uh, with uh, voiceover stuff for uh, commercials and that kind of thing. And it's very interesting to me to watch how they put things together to try and sell you... Uh, especially when it's like radio or even if it is television with somebody speaking in the background, to convince you that whatever it is they're showing you, you've just got to get this thing, right? Uh, Whether it is for your next vacation or your next hair color, you need this particular product. And uh, one of the ploys I find interesting is when companies have been selling something, doing the same thing for like years, And then all of a sudden, they either rebrand or uh, whatever happens, and I don't know if they're losing some market share, but their their thing that they like to tell us is, oh, this is new and improved. So if you'll buy this toothpaste this year, it'll make your teeth brighter and sparklier and whatever else, more than everyone else's, and presumably more than the toothpaste they sold us last year, right? Uh, Which is... How much better can it get? I mean, it's cleaning your teeth, for crying out loud. And so anyway, uh, I mean, I don't tell them that. I just say the words, and they give me a few dollars, and we move on. But anyway... (laughs) Uh, new and improved is like their mantra. We've just got to have new and improved. We like the idea of something that's new. So we want to make sure that if there's an 8.0, we're using 8.0, and that it is substantially better than 7.0 because we like things that are newer and better than the previous version. Well, as I said last week, we're moving into the section of Ephesians that most would describe as the practical section. We've hit up some really uh, heavy doctrine in some cases, some really uh, soul-enriching truths that we've studied together, and we are moving into the section where Paul now effectively says, now, here's all of this teaching I gave you. Now I'm going to give you some specific ways to kind of work it out. This is kind of Paul's three-chapter version of some thoughts to take home, okay? Uh, So, we're, we're moving into that section, and today, I feel like, is a bit of a transition from here's how you should think to here's how you should live, and it kind of, I think, summarizes that process in these few verses, and I can tell you Uh, In a lot of ways, not that I've used this passage, but as I've studied this section of Scripture, and we'll be in Ephesians 4, uh, starting in verse 17, this kind of is the pattern I use in counseling. When people uh, come to me and they want to work something out, this is kind of the pattern I use. So when I preach it, I'm always happy to say, if you want to avoid counseling, having to go to counseling for somebody, use this process, okay? So it's, it's really good, and you'll understand why as we go. So let me begin by reading Ephesians 4 and verse 17. Now, this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness, their hardness of heart. They become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. We'll come to the end, so let me give you one thing that I want you to take with you as we leave. This is what we all were previous to our relationship to Christ, so this is not something that we're throwing stones at other people. This also, I think this teaching in this first piece should give us some compassion and a bit of patience with people who are not followers of Christ. Uh, This should not be something we look at and say, see what they're like, but a little bit of grace uh, to give to people who are not followers of Christ. And again, you'll see why as we go, but this is describing what was true. This is prior to our salvation. This is prior to us Coming to a relationship with Jesus Christ. First thing that was true is our thinking was flawed. It was futile is the word here. This doesn't mean pointless, useless, they don't know how to think. This is, it was flawed. Their thinking is fundamentally flawed. It's unable to accomplish lasting change. For a person who is outside of Christ and outside of the gospel, no matter how much they try and think themselves into change, since their thinking is fundamentally flawed, they cannot come to true and lasting change. Their understanding, according to 2 Corinthians Corinthians 4, has been darkened, and so they cannot see because of their blinded minds. James Montgomery Boyce says this, Our problems go back to the mind. It is here and not elsewhere that the unsaved person has his chief flaw. He does not know God, so he cannot think properly. Everything is out of place, and his disordered and sinful conduct reflects his disordered, sinful mind. Nobody, at least if they have any sense, believes that every person who's not a follower of Christ is just the worst they can be, any more than I was the worst I could be. Fundamentally, we have to understand that it is our thinking that is the big problem. That's where change has to start. Uh, I've uh, described often my process of counseling. I don't follow it to the letter every time, but in general terms, it is people come to me with usually some sort of emotion. I'm hurting, I'm struggling, I'm lonely, I'm depressed, I'm whatever it is. They have feelings that they have, which Feelings are normal, you can't... Feelings are always the result of something. So I try to help them figure out what is it about me, about my actions or the actions of others and my reactions to that that is bringing about these negative emotions I don't like. And once we identify that, we try to figure out what's the thinking that's causing me to act or react in the way I'm doing, which is resulting in the feeling. And it feels like a very long and laborious process sometimes and sometimes it is, then I take the thinking that I've identified and I renew it through the scriptures and I change my thinking, which results in me changing how I behave or react to what others do, and that tends to bring a different set of emotions. So it's a process, but it begins with thinking. Secondly, not only was our thinking flawed, our heart was stubborn. Verse 18, second part of 18, uh, they... Uh, they're alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness, their hardness of heart. It's it's been petrified. It's been made really uh, stony. And the scriptures talk about removing the heart of stone and replacing it with a heart of flesh. That's this same concept. It's It's a something has become hardened about my heart that makes me... Uh, wish that I could do things differently, but somehow or another, it just doesn't change. And it begins with a stubbornness in the sense that I'm unwilling to accept God's truth as truth to start with. Romans 1 uh, reads this way, beginning in verse 18, and it's the process. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. And it literally is talking like pressing something down, holding it down. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking. And their foolish hearts were darkened, claiming to be wise. They became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity. I'm not going to finish reading, but this this is the process. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie. That's the fundamental problem. So it starts with a heart that has become hardened because I have been unwilling to accept God's truth. Our heart was stubborn. This is why laws alone don't effect lasting change. So not to get all hung up on cultural issues again today, but do I believe that we should pursue renovating laws that will make us, other people, whatever, safer? Absolutely. I'm fully in favor of laws that restrict abortion, for example. I'm fully in favor of considering what laws, what, what statutory things can we do to make people behave differently. I'm all about that. That's the point of laws. Let's help people. Let's make them behave the way they should. But if we stop there, we've not done the Christian thing. We've done the societally accepted thing we have to go after people's hearts. I do believe there are a lot of systemic problems. They're systemic problems because we have people with hearts like this who have created the system. So inevitably, there's going to be some systemic issues. So ultimately, we ought to both pursue systemic changes, but ultimately, we can't stop there. We have to go after people's hearts because our hearts have become calloused they are, we don't feel what we should they've become petrified it's like ingrained habits that are bad people don't for example if if i don't eat in a healthy manner i don't usually go to the kitchen and say okay what is the least healthy food i can find how can i gain the most weight in the least amount of time and what can i eat to make that happen nobody does that But over the course of time, through patterns and habits and just not thinking about it, I develop habits that make me callous to the idea that, you know what, this is probably not a good idea. Uh, Whatever other application I want to make to it uh, can be appropriate. So our thinking is flawed. Our hearts were stubborn. And thirdly, as a result, our behavior was corrupt. Not always in the eyes of everybody else, not always in the sense that everybody looked at me and said, man, what a horrible person. But, well, let's look at it. Verse 19. They've become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Sensuality is just lack of moral restraint. I had a conversation several years ago with somebody that really struck me largely because it was somebody who had grown up in the church and they were a young adult and were kind of in that negotiating, is, is this really what I believe or is this what my parents believed and so on? And they made the comment to me that it just sometimes seems like Christianity is all about just curbing our natural desires. There's so much in that sentence that needs parsed out. But fundamentally, they were arguing with this concept that here is this, this body of truth that I'm required to change my behavior as a result of what I know. So, I didn't really argue with them. There is a certain sense in which that is true. It's not all that it's about, but it does include that because we cannot give in to our senses every time we just want to. And impurity, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Of course, that doesn't mean that every person practices every kind of impurity available. And frankly, it doesn't even assume that we've already discovered every possible kind of impurity. We seem to constantly come up with new things and new ways to be impure. The point is, the heart that's alienated from God doesn't have limits on what it can or will do. And we, we flatter ourselves when we think, oh, I could never, whatever it is, right? I mean, as a preacher, I have known personally and, and seen preachers over the years who have, who have gotten into moral failure. And I learned a long time ago, the, the preacher, the pastor in the greatest danger is the one who says, oh, that'll never happen to me. That's just foolishness. Our hearts, apart from... A conscience activated by the Holy Spirit is capable of a lot more. That's why we always hear interviews when somebody has done something. Some young man has shot six people and you interview the neighbors. He just seemed like such a nice boy. I would never have expected that out of him. Well, we don't ever expect anybody to murder six people, right? So, of course, we didn't expect it. But somehow or another, we think that our heart is going to be different. So, this is what was true. We weren't as bad as we could ever possibly be, but we were thoroughly bad. Our thinking was flawed, our hearts were stubborn, and our our behavior was corrupt. And it's, it's written in a way that it is in the process of continuing to be corrupted. So, what changed? Verse 20. But that is not the way you learn Christ. Assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus... To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. So that's the change. That's what happened. Something took place to change. And the first thing was you learned the truth. Again, this affects the mind, but it's more than just facts. It says you. You learned Christ, and it's a word that has to do with coming to know him, and it's relational. It was a word actually used in the New Testament days of the group of people who would follow the rabbis. One of the reasons the idea of Jesus and his 12 disciples didn't seem like totally weird in the culture is because that's what every rabbi did. They had a group of people, usually that they would invite, who would be their disciples, and they would would work with them, they would walk with them, they would spend time with them. That was a very common practice in New Testament times. And Jesus, the thing that was different about Jesus is he took all a bunch of people that no rabbi would ever have taken. But separate from that, that in itself was not different. But they learned Christ. They got to know him personally. So there was more to this than just... Uh, information, and they heard him. It says in here, heard about him, because that just makes sense to our English ears, our English speaking ears, but it's literally, you heard him. Jesus said, these scriptures are those which testify of me. So we hear Christ in the scriptures, and we were taught as the truth in Jesus. We were taught in him, in a sense, in In the context of Christ, these are the things we were taught. So one writer suggested Jesus is the school and the teacher and the subject in which we learn how to be different. And the first thing we do is put off our old self, that which belongs to our previous manner of life. Because it is being corrupted. It's, It's written in a way that suggests the process was still going on. When we came to faith in Christ, it is naturally that way. That's why that passage in Romans 1 is so poignant to me, because it describes this kind of ongoing progression. This is how it works when we are not followers of Christ. We put off our old, old self because it's being corrupted. So that's why Colossians 3, when Paul uh, challenges them, he says, I appeal to you, brothers. Uh, is that, am I in the right verse? Oh, no. If you then have been raised with Christ... Seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things on the earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So you have died. We're putting off our old self and then we are renewed in our mind. So we put off the old self, we die to self, and we are renewed in our minds, that's, again, verse 2 just said that, uh, and then we can go to Romans 12. This is a great passage of Scripture, okay? I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. That's a, that's a great thing to do, right? What is the process? Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing... You may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So we're in this process. What was true before, our thinking and our behavior and our hearts, those things were flawed and stubborn, and now what changed? We learned the truth. We put off our old self, and we were renewed in our minds. Something changed about how we think and understand Christ. What's the result of that? Verse 24, we put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. We're not just renovated. The new self is not just made a little better. It's not just improved. It really is new and improved, right? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, we're told, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation, behold, The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Something is entirely different when I come to Christ. So I have a new self, which is in the likeness of God. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me, something is fundamentally different. I am now in the likeness of God. True righteousness and holiness, not the false righteousness I used to try and get people to see based on the works that I thought I was doing well. Not not the false holiness or the pretend holiness that everyone else sees in me. Actual true holiness. I found this quote from uh, a Mr. Dunham, a commentator, and I really like how he words this. The Christian life is personal, but not private. Our sins may be personal, but I find it impossible to imagine any personal sin that does not boil over and poison other relationships. Sanctification has to do with holiness of life. Personal, but not private holiness. I really like the distinction that he makes there. We rightly reject legalism. We should. The idea that a person could ever do something to earn favor in the sight of God is just... It it sends people to hell, for one thing. It's to think of that prior to salvation, that I could actually earn my way. If I follow the right list or do the right things, I'll somehow be accepted by God is absolutely, fundamentally wrong. Unfortunately, I think we tend to carry that over even into our Christian life. If I do the right things, if I follow the right list, if I do enough of this and enough of that, God will be a little happier with me than he is right now. That's still fundamentally flawed, right? I mean, God is happy because I am accepted in his son. I'm accepted in the beloved one. However... We cannot become so neurotically careful to avoid legalism that we fall into the trap of thinking behavior doesn't matter. The transformation, that the transformation is somehow only internal and spiritual. The Bible describes a spiritual transformation that results in an external transformation. We will still produce... Righteous and holy lives. That's still going to happen, but it's going to happen because of what God is doing in here, not because we followed a list of the right rules. And it's a natural process; it will happen. So, I have just two thoughts to take home. And this this passage has challenged me as I've been thinking it through in these last few days. Again, getting ready for this morning. First, is this: be patient with those who are outside of Christ. It's very easy for us to look at people. Who are outside of Christ and think, I can't believe they don't do this. I don't understand why they can't see this. The the scriptures are clear. It, It is not because they're stupid, it's because their thinking is flawed because they've not fundamentally accepted that God's truth is true to start with. So there is certainly a sense of stubbornness, sometimes a very great sense of purpose, but in the final outcome, I think we need to be a little more gracious and a little more patient. We cannot expect people who are outside of Christ to live in a manner consistent with the gospel and its impact. They're not going to do it to to a certain degree. They cannot do it. So why are we angry with them for that? Perhaps we should spend more time in prayer and in, in being compassionate and in seeking to share with them the gospel of Christ so that their mind can be renewed and their heart can be transformed and then they can begin the process of change. And then the second question gets to me a little bit too. Do you see the process of transformation happening in your life and where is it taking place? What is being different about you now that say six months or a year ago was something that it shouldn't be? The process of transformation is a natural process. It's described here as you put this off and you put this on, but you do it when you come to faith in Christ. Those things take place, and then you begin to practice what has already happened. Now, for the rest of the letter to the Ephesians, it's going to get exceedingly practical. So specifically, he says, therefore, this is getting into next week, but having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak truth, okay? So he's going to get excessively practical in how this works itself out, but this is an important hinge spot, all right? So when I'm trying to figure out with my kids or my parents or my friends at work or whatever it is, and they're like, I just got this thing and I can't seem to change it, here's where I have to begin. I've got to have my mind renewed. I've got to have my heart transformed so that I can begin to put on the things that I want to do, right? It's, it sounds... Uh, I, I, call, I tell people things like this are simple, but they're not easy. They're not really hard to understand, but they're also not very easy to put into practice. So, man, I'm really grateful because... We'd be stuck here if it were not for the gospel, right? If I had not come to Christ, recognized that I am in fact a sinner, that I do have a heart that is at enmity with God, if I hadn't, if God had not brought me there, and I had not trusted in Christ as my Savior, I'd I'd just be scrambling, you know, rearranging the chairs on the Titanic. It's not, it's, it's trying to fix stuff that I can't effect lasting change apart from the gospel. So. Man, this, this kind of stuff makes me really grateful for Christ and for the gospel, right? All right, listen, I'm going to pray, and we're going to sing another song and uh, enjoy some fellowship out front while uh, the place gets fogged, all right? Let's, let's pray. Father, thank you so much. I'm really grateful for the gospel. As I read passages of Scripture like this, it, it reminds me of how, uh, how, how impossible it would have been for me outside of christ i have enough trouble lord uh, submitting myself to the spirit of god and to the lordship of christ on a daily basis and setting aside those things that i know are displeasing to you attitudes and even thought processes and behaviors and uh, lord uh, i pray that i that we would be more patient with our friends who don't know jesus that we would not be so angry that they act and behave in a way that is just natural uh, for them given their current state so lord help us to be people who are compassionate and wanting to uh, see our friends and our neighbors and our family members come to christ so that they can be transformed i pray that you'd give us grace even even perhaps this week to be able to to uh, talk to somebody about that but lord uh, continue the process of transformation would you Continue to make us into people that will honor your name through true righteousness and holiness.